0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Well, we have a, a very special guest in our second segment to do. That would be Larry Ty, the author of Satchel: The Life and Times of an American Legend, referring, of course, to the immortal baseball pitcher, Satchel Paige. You may have heard uh, Larry Ty on Fresh Air uh, last week on National Public Radio, and it's just it's a great treat to have somebody go from Terry Gross on to, uh, to our program here. And if you don't know anything about Satchel Paige, or maybe even better, if you do, I think you're going to enjoy uh, our interview in segment two. So by all means, stay tuned for that. Mr. McMillan has just gotten back from a a brief trip to Canada, and I'm sure that at some future point we need to get him on the show and talk about some of his adventures up at Niagara Falls. What do you think of that idea? You know, okay. Was that a Canadian accent? Alleged? Alleged. Get out, eh? (laughs) Anyway, let us begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, our date today being the 18th of June, which I suppose makes this our summer solstice program. Because this upcoming Father's Day, June 21st, will be the longest day of the year. But at any rate, it was on June 18th in 1746 that a group of booksellers in London contracted with Samuel Johnson to write his 40,000-word Dictionary of the English Language, for which he was paid 1,500 pounds sterling. It was on this date in 1815 that Napoleon met his Waterloo at Waterloo. Boy, there's a coincidence for you. On this date in 1958, what's described as a break with centuries of tradition, Prince Akihito, the future emperor of Japan, was actually allowed to choose his own wife. One year later, in 1959, the Arkansas state laws that permit schools to be closed rather than integrated were voided by a federal court. And on this date in 1983, astronaut Sally Ride boarded the 7th U.S. space shuttle mission. The Challenger won and became the first American woman in space. She had been preceded 20 years earlier by Valentina Tereshkova, the Soviet cosmonaut, the first woman in space. Yes, June 18th does represent some progress because back on June 18th in 1873, Susan B. Anthony was fined $100 for attempting to vote in the 1972 U.S. presidential election. She never paid the fine. Our quote of the day comes from the Austrian essayist Karl Krauss, who asked, How's the world ruled and how do wars start? Well, diplomats tell lies to journalists, then believe what they read. And our quip of the day comes from Spike Milligan, who, who said, The advantage of taking an instant dislike to somebody is that it saves time. Our stat of the day, and I think we have two today. Number one is the fact that eight of the nine current Supreme Court justices attended either Yale or Harvard. Only Justice John Paul Stevens went to the University of Chicago and Northwestern Law was educated outside the Ivy League. And by the way, the current nominee, Sonia Sotomayor, went to Princeton and Yale Law. There's a belief at Radio Parallax that we need to, for probably about a decade, exclude people who went to the Ivy League from public service. We may have to try that once uh, the Obama administration passes into history. And as stat number two, this might be maybe more of a factoid, but apparently Arkansas, Indiana, Nevada, and Virginia are now refusing to allow drivers to smile for their license photos, and more states are expected to follow suit. This is because the states use facial recognition software, and that has difficulty matching smiley photos with other pictures of the same person. I think our joke of the day has to be the reverberating David Letterman comment of a couple of weeks back that uh, Sarah Palin, on her visit to uh, to New York City, spent a lot of time buying some makeup to enhance that slutty flight attendant look of hers. <laughs> Sarah Palin's making the most of David Letterman's crack about uh, about her daughter during the seventh inning uh, in an awkward moment getting, uh, getting impregnated by Alex Rodriguez. Palin is feigning outrage and saying that, it, you know, this is, just a, this is just a contributing to the kind of thread that's through our culture. It makes it sound like it's okay to talk about young girls in that way, where it's okay, accepted, and funny to talk about statutory rape. Yeah, okay. Letterman was making the crack about her 18-year-old daughter, not the 14-year-old. His mistake, okay? But, I mean, the fact that the National Organization of Women uh, is placing Letterman in its media hall of shame is, is just a bit much. And uh, speaking of wisecracks, uh, one of our local uh, knucklehead radio programs, Moe, Larry, and Curly in the Morning. No, actually, in this case, it's Rob, Arnie, and Don in the Morning had to uh, basically uh, formally apologize after their uh, sponsors were uh, threatening them to not, uh, not support the program after they made some cracks about um, people of uh, transgender status. Again, we think that might be a bit much, although I do want to say that it is an idiot program, at least in this correspondent's opinion, Uh, and if you're listening to it to begin with, I mean, you're just asking for it. You know, this might be a good point to interject that the opinions that you hear on this program week in and week out uh, do not, of course, necessarily represent those of KDVS, any of our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. Of course, we know that a study by the RAND Corporation shows that we're, you know, we're almost always right. <laughs> Let's see if we can't jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for jellyfish. After researchers announced that if current trends in overfishing, pollution, and global warming continue unabated, these slimy, undulating sea creatures will take over the world's oceans. That's going to take place in the next few decades, warned Australian marine biologist Dr. Anthony Richardson, noting that the oceans could become jellyfish-dominated. I think a better idea is to do something about overfishing, pollution, and global warming. Because if you've ever sat down to a plate of blackened jellyfish, well, you know that has to be bad. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for American trial lawyers after a California judge dismissed a lawsuit filed by a woman who said she had purchased Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries because she believed Crunch Berries were real fruit. The woman found to her dismay that they are, in fact, brightly colored cereal balls. I thought you had to have actual damages before you could file a lawsuit on some level, didn't you? Uh, You know, I I, I don't know. But I do know that a couple weeks back, it was definitely an ugly week for the Russian Navy. During exercises in the Gulf of Finland, it apparently opened fire on a village near St. Petersburg. Luckily, no one was injured when artillery fire from an anti-submarine ship rained down on the village. We have an item from the Only in America file that I like. Apparently, an Ohio man was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct for mowing the grass in a neglected public park. Apparently, John Hamilton, age 48, admitted that he continued mowing the foot-high grass in Sandusky Central Park, despite the fact that park officials asked him to stop. But he noted that since budget cuts forced the city to scale back mowing operations, the park had become an eyesore. I was only trying to save the city some money, said Hamilton. Hey, but hey, you know, you could have got hurt out there and then sued. And speaking of idiot lawsuits, and and I guess we are, we have this item. Alleged comedian Sasha Baron Cohen last week attracted his first lawsuit related to his new movie, Bruno. And no, apparently the lawsuit is not related to its comedy content. No, apparently Rochelle Olson of California alleges that Baron Cohn offensively touched, pushed, and battered her at a charity bingo game for the elderly, which caused her, quote, life-altering injuries, unquote. In his defense, Universal Pictures says its footage of the encounter refutes Ms. Olson's claim. And what the footage reveals about the comedy of Sasha Baron Cohn, we we don't have any information on quite yet. Personally, I only hope that it is funnier than Borat. And I should interject, Mr. McMillan is a huge Baron Cohn fan. And I will acknowledge that at times he is funny, and on even rarer times he is hilarious. It's just the the parts in between that kind of wear me out. All right, we, we, do t- we do tend to kind of pound our home country of America here with the only in America file, but once in a while we go overseas, and I think we should have an only in the UK item, which is as follows. According to New Scientist magazine, a pub in the north of England is now allowing drinkers to get around the UK smoking ban by setting up a room designated as a smoking research center. This, is, of course, is following the model of Japanese whalers who pretend that their hunting whales is for... Scientific research. I guess that research is being conducted into how many whale burgers you can sell back in Tokyo. But according to the story, the Cutting Edge Pub in Barnsley, South Yorkshire, believed that it discovered a loophole in English smoking laws that allowed people to smoke on the premises so long as they filled in a questionnaire on their smoking habits before sitting down for a drink and cigarette in the, quote, center, unquote. But sadly for them, the Barnsley Metropolitan Borough Council has pointed out that this could only apply within research institutions, which the cutting-edge pub is, quote, clearly not, unquote. The pub, therefore, had to close down its smoking research center. Here's an item from the Who Me? file. I think most of you remember last April when Navy SEALs shot three pirates off the Somali coast who were holding Captain Robert Phillips hostage after his ship, the Mayusk, Alabama, was hijacked. Well, it turns out the captain had told Navy officials that the pirates had taken the money from his safe and at least some of it was thought to be on the lifeboat with them. But during the uh, rescue of the, uh, of the captain, apparently the $30,000 has disappeared which has caused the U.S. Navy to open an investigation into said disappearance. And here's a headline I can't resist from the DUH file. Sacramento B, June 2nd, Dateline, Wichita, Kansas. Headline, Dr. Slang Suspect's Views Called Extreme. Gee, do you think? This, of course, refers to the assassination of Wichita Dr. George Tiller which the Christian right is alleging was the work of a deranged lone gunman. People like Bill O'Reilly are saying that just because they called him killer tiller 29 times on national television had nothing to do with inciting anyone to murder the doctor. Actually, we said it a couple weeks ago, and The Week magazine echoed our exact sentiment uh, about this death in Kansas, you know, asking, isn't this an act of domestic terrorism? If assassinating a prominent person in order to discourage others from following his footsteps isn't terrorism, I, I, I'm, I don't know what is. And, and why aren't those who, uh, who are aligned with him, you know, designated terrorist organizations, huh? Because I know there was a headline um, a couple days ago about how the FBI is now investigating uh, Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson's St. Hope organization. Well, one hopes they're a little more thorough in whatever they dig into in Sacramento than they were out in Kansas. Apparently, the office manager of the clinic where Dr. Tiller worked, Jeffrey Peterson, uh, reported that he filed a police report before a couple in, a couple incidences where the clinic uh, was vandalized and also contacted the FBI, giving them the suspect's license plate number. The day after the murder, he found out that the, that the license plate number he'd given to the FBI, well, that was the... Uh, that was license plate of the assassin. I think being a little more proactive in that case would have been good. Well, I guess one should say alleged assassin, even though there's not much doubt that he's the, uh, the, the guilty party, I think. But he has told people that apparently there are similar violence planned around the nation against other abortion providers. Let's hope that A, he's wrong, or that B, if he's not, they uh, you know offer people some protection here. Speaking of protection, there's a move afoot now to rein in some of the economic institutions which have melted down the U.S. economy this past year. Yeah, I don't know. Running an economy on a pyramid scheme didn't pan out so well for Albania. I don't know why people thought it would work here. But the article in New Scientist, June 6th issue, Can Science Fix Economics? had a couple interesting paragraphs. I liked uh, point number four in the article. According to classical models of economics, financial crises... Don't happen because people, firms, and other economic agents act rationally in their own self interest and with profound insight. They would never be duped into investing in a market that was enormously inflated and about to crash. The result of these models is stable, self correcting equilibrium. If the prices are too high, people stop buying. Too low, people start buying again. As the magazine notes rather dryly, clearly then, there's a lot wrong with classical economics. And they quoted Philippe Bouchard, physicist and co-founder of the hedge fund, capital fund management in Gay, Paris, that most economic analysis still takes place within a totally inadequate set of concepts. Adding, theories of finance can learn a lot by connections to the rest of science. Which I guess at this point I can't help but interject one of the couple jokes I heard back in Econ 1A in my undergraduate days, which was as follows. A physicist, chemist, and economist are stranded on a desert island. They have many cans of food, but no can opener. The physicist says, I think we can get these cans open by pounding them with rocks. The chemist says, I think we can get these cans open by corroding them with seawater. The economist thinks for quite a long time and then says, okay, let's assume the cans are open. And the same issue of New Scientist has an article that I just have to quote uh, at some length. It opened like this. Ever wondered why the pundits who failed to predict the current economic crisis are still being paid for their opinions? It's a consequence of the way human psychology works in a free market. That's according to a study of how people's self-confidence affects the way others respond to their advice. The research by Don Moore of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh shows that we prefer advice from a confident source, even to the point that we are willing to forgive a poor track record. Moore argues that in competitive situations, this can drive those offering advice to increasingly exaggerate how sure they are. And it spells bad news for scientists who try to be honest about gaps in their knowledge. In Moore's experiment, volunteers were given cash for correctly guessing the weight of people from their photographs. In eight rounds of study, the guessers bought advice from one of four other volunteers. The guessers could see in advance how confident each of these advisors was, but not which weights they had opted for. From the start, the more confident advisors found more buyers for their advice, and this caused advisors to give answers that were more and more precise as the game progressed. As it evolved in later rounds, guessers tended to avoid advisors who had been wrong previously, but they noted this effect was more than outweighed by the bias toward confidence. Magazine notes these findings add weight to the idea that if offering expert opinion is your stock and trade, it pays to appear self-confident. Apparently, uh, Dr. Moore presented this data at the Association for Psychological Science in San Francisco uh, back in May. And did did explain that uh, this does make a certain amount of sense. There is evidence that precision and expertise tend to go hand in hand. People give a narrow range of answers, for example, when they're asked about subjects from which they are more familiar. But the article notes that there are times when this link breaks down. Given complex but politicized subjects, such as global warming, for example, scientific experts who stress uncertainties lose out, to activists or lobbyists with a more emphatic message. Magazine asked the question, so if honest advice risks being ignored, what's a responsible scientific advisor to do? Responded Don Moore, It's an excellent question and I'm not sure that I have an answer. I think, ladies and gentlemen, we may have explained the Bill O'Reilly phenomenon. When I listen to O'Reilly or Tom Sullivan or Rush Limbaugh, I say one thing for him. They're never in doubt. They may be dead wrong, but they're never in doubt. And that, ladies and gentlemen, can be a problem. And uh, here's a weird story from New Scientist. Um, apparently, Jared Diamond is being sued by the people of Papua New Guinea because he wrote an article in the April 2008 uh, New Yorker magazine concerning violence and revenge which he witnessed in Papua New Guinea after spending many years there. Apparently, Diamond named names, and some of the names say the claims made in his article are false, and they're suing him for $10 million. The magazine uh, posed the question of, boy, what does this dispute teach us uh, about uh, Jared Diamond's article? They said, well, field scientists need to document claims with the utmost care. And secondly, that no one should take the word of any one researcher, noting that all claims, yours, mine, Diamond's, his critics, must be tested and retested. We're going to have to follow this story story and see how it unfolds. We're sorry to report that Jared Diamond was a bit of a curmudgeon when we tried to interview him for this program, going so far as to disallow my taping of his um, talk that he gave at uh, at a conference here last fall. So we were unable to even so much as give you an excerpt of of that chat. But in his defense, uh, having read a lot of his work, he seems to bend over backwards to be fair. So uh, my sympathies do lie with him in this particular case. Let's uh, take a short break and then come back and talk about uh, Satchel Paige, a man who uh, is not only a baseball legend, but also a unique individual who in many ways transcended sport. We will have our interview with Larry Tai up momentarily after this short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.